it's good to be back. Uh, I, I'm very sick, but I'm up here to preach it. I went to the doctor earlier this week, and I said, my, my face hurts here, like all the way over, and he looked in my ear, and I have an ear infection. I thought only kids get ear infections, but apparently I've got an ear infection, uh, but uh, then I got a cold, so I'm all filled. You, get, you know, you ever get so congested that you just feel like you're swimming in your own head? It's really strange, but I'm here to preach it, even though I'm sick. I'm on these giant antibiotics. They're like, like a surfboard. I have to somehow, like, you see the cartoons where, the, like, the cartoon character swallows the wrench, and you can see it, like, go all the way down. His, that's me in the morning when I, when I take my pill. But I'm telling you, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to preach. We're learning how to share our faith with others, and the reason we're doing that is because we're not really good at it. And we want to do it, but we don't know how, so we're all learning together. Now, uh, all around you, there are people who are taking risks and starting conversations with non-believers, and uh, they come up to me every week, and they're like, guess what? I had a talk, and I told this. And sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it goes bad. (laughs) But they're at least taking risks, and I want you to know that um, this is the time for you to be taking risks and starting conversations with others. So we put a few, a little video montage together of people who've told us their story so far. Check it out. Okay, tell us about the story you have. Um, I came home from church, saw my neighbor outside, and told her, I, do, you, uh, do you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? She became indignant and said, everybody knows that. I didn't know how to answer her. I didn't expect her to say that and didn't know what to say. So I'm looking for answers. Great, thank you. A couple weeks ago, we went to the mall with um, the mission to try to talk to somebody. I did end up talking to a girl that was trying to talk to me to sell me something as I walked by. I said, I'll listen to her if she listens to me for a minute. And um, she did, and she was interested, and she ended up asking about Harvest and if there's one where she lived in Gurney. And uh, she promised me that she would read the Gospel of John. Hi, my name is Caleb, and I recently engaged in conversations at my work with a Muslim uh, girl my age talking about what we believe in. And to be honest with you, I was very nervous. And trying to navigate that in a work setting is difficult, but the conversation's on over. We've been talking day to day, and I'll keep you posted on what's happening. This week I had the opportunity to talk to those people who come to your door and tell you that Jesus is not God. And normally I want to just close the door and say goodbye. But this week, really because of our servant series, I felt like I wanted to talk to them. And we had probably a 30-minute discussion. The way it ended was God opened the sky and rained all over them. But I found myself going in my house and I got on my knees and I prayed for them. And I actually, I can't believe this, but I prayed that God would send them back to me so we could talk some more. Hi, my name is Maria and um, I have a friend. She stopped going, she was raised actually in the Catholic Church and uh, she stopped going because she felt they were all hypocrites. We were talking uh, about the Lord for a while and then I finally told her uh, that Jesus loved her and she kind of like had a lump in her throat like nobody ever told her that Jesus loved her so I, I felt real good about it. I went to be fitted for my diabetic shoes and 
in the course of my conversation with the gal who was uh, working with me, she was telling me how hectic it was and uh, she didn't have any rest anymore. And I just mentioned the fact that God sent his son Jesus that we would find rest in him. And then the rest of our conversation, I got into the gospel. She made no commitment, but I'll be going back to get my shoes and I'll tell her the rest of the story. Action. Okay. One day I was in second grade with my friend Allie and um, we were going to play in the tree house and I said, what do you believe? And she said, I believe Catholic. I said, um, maybe it would be cool if you believe what I believe. She said, I'll give it a shot. So we both play, prayed in the tree house and that she got saved that day. That's adorable. That's adorable. We are learning how to share our faith with others. We talked for two weeks on origin, how the universe got started. We learned how to talk to other people about creation and our view of that. Now we're on to meaning, the meaning of life. How do we talk to people who don't share our faith about the meaning of life? Uh, that's the question. What is the meaning of life? Well, if you ask 100 people, you might get 100 different answers. In fact, Life Magazine did a whole issue on the meaning of life years ago, and they interviewed everyone from philosophers to drug addicts to taxi cab drivers, and they said, same question, what's the meaning of life? One man named Jose, who's a cab driver, said this, we're here to die. Just live and die. I like driving a cab. I do some fishing, take my girl out, pay taxes, do a little reading, then get ready to drop dead. Life is nothing. And many people you know live by that motto. There really isn't any point. I just live and I'll die. I fill my time with this and that. And that is what they're living for. Uh, their lives are meaningless. But the Bible says to live is Christ. How do we convey to people that there is a much higher purpose for their existence? That God has a plan and it's different from their own. Well, the Bible says that Jesus, his presence, fills life with meaning, and his absence empties life of meaning. If you have Christ, your life is filled with meaning. If you don't have Christ, your life is emptied of meaning. Let's look into the Word together in a moment and find out how to talk to others about meaning, but let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us a reason to get up to live. We thank you that you make every moment of our lives meaningful and significant. They all matter because one day we'll stand before you. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us every moment of every day, but so many people don't have that joy. They're lacking purpose. Show us how we can have conversations with others about this issue. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, in this series, we're actually skipping around to many different verses in the Bible, so you don't have to feel the pressure to chase around and, and follow with me. All the verses will be up on the screen. Um, but what is the meaning of life, and how can I talk to others about it? We're going to begin in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and here's what it says. It says, And he, that's Jesus, who died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And was raised. Get that again. Jesus died for all, that those who live, that's us, might no longer live for ourselves. 
When we realize Jesus came into this world and he died on a cross so that we can truly live, then we live for him. The first thing that we really believe, the first thing we have to share with others is this. You were made to worship Christ. It's true whether they agree with it or not. It's true whether they understand it or not. They were put into this world to worship God. When their relationship with God was broken through sin, God sent his son to repair that relationship. And when they understand that there's someone who came down from heaven, who was brutally murdered so that all the sins of the world can be taken away, when they know that that person then rose on the third day, that he miraculously ascended to the right hand of God, when they know that in the book of Revelation it says that every being in heaven right now is worshiping the Father and the Son, then they realize that there's a bigger purpose for this world than themselves. They are here to worship Christ. But when people reject their purpose, when they don't worship Christ, they find other things to worship. Uh, We have to talk to people about meaning. Because if Christ isn't controlling a person's heart, something else is. It's not enough for Christians to look at their family, their loved ones, their co-workers and say, well, you know, they're, they're not really living for Christ, but they'll be okay probably. When you look at a person who is not living a life for Christ, what you see is a heart that's been hijacked by false gods. You're seeing something that's terrifying because those idols will not land that person safely in eternity. Idols do not steer people's lives to heaven. It takes them to hell. And when a heart is full of idols instead of God, when those idols hijack a person's life, then their lives turn into fiery disasters. Christians have to see this, and in love, we have to reach out and tell people, you're here for a greater purpose. You were made to worship Christ. When when will this come up? I mean, really, Ryan, when am I going to have a chance to talk to someone about the meaning of life? That's not really a water cooler conversation, right? You're not going to walk up to someone and be like, hey, pal, what's the meaning of life? Like, like when you're in the line to get into a movie. <laughs> um, it will come up. Typically, it'll come up when a person's plan goes horribly wrong. When they've tried their way and their, their idols break and their relationships fall apart, and their careers end, and their family blows up, that's when they will be willing to talk about a better plan than their plan. When they're in the middle of trying their plan, and they think it's all going to end well, they're probably not going to want to talk to you about God's plan, right? But you have to watch, because you will catch people who are ready to hear, all right? You have to watch for those moments when you see that their lives have been turned upside down. I found an awesome site this week uh, online. There was a post on Facebook, and I clicked the link, and it said, uh, here's a series of pictures of cats who are regretting their poor life choices. So here's a cat who's regretting his poor life choice. Here's another cat who's regretting his poor life choice. How do I get out of this one? Here's a third cat. You know, wow, how did that happen? (laughs) I've got more. I just downloaded all of them. I'm so excited about these pictures. Here's another one. His claws are stuck in the screen. Can't get the, you know, look at that face. Don't you love the look? Here's the next one. I'm just halfway out. Somebody could just give me a push. This next one might be my favorite. <laughs> How did you get in? This next one is actually an action shot. I'm going to catch the snowball. No. 
bam, right in the face. And, and here's the last one, I think. I want to go outside. Why did you let me outside? <laughs> All right, now, keep that one up there for a second, because the best time to talk to someone about the meaning of life is when that's how they're looking at you. <laughs> I thought going outside would make me so happy and oh, I'm miserable. You know, when they take it to the face, when they're stuck and they've got nowhere to go and they've got that look on their face like, I can't get out of this. Like, that's when the meaning of life will come up. That's when you get to say to them, God has a better plan. If I had to think of someone in the Bible who turned away from worshiping God, trusted idols to bring him joy, uh, it would be the prodigal son. Do you know the story of the prodigal son? He went to his father, and he said, I want my inheritance now. Now, when do you ordinarily get your inheritance? After your father dies. And he was, in essence, saying that. I would, I would love to live right now as if you were dead. Give me my inheritance, and off I go. And, and that was, in essence, this man's heart towards God. I will not follow your plan. Off he went with money in his pocket. He lived a, a, a terrible life. He got drunk. He lived it up. He spent all of his money, he, you know, laid with prostitutes, and he, he lived a wild life. Why? Because he thought that his new God's money and freedom and pleasure would bring him happiness. And then when all the money ran out and the pain began and he was face down in the mud, he was living like a pig. He was living like an animal, worse than an animal. And he finally woke up and said, why am I doing this when I know that if I go back, uh, back home, I could have a much better life than this. And he turns and he goes home and his father is right there to welcome him with open arms and he throws a giant party and says, my son has come home. That's God's heart towards the person who refuses to worship him. People who turn away from worshiping God will find gods to worship. They'll worship, they'll worship money, they'll worship sex, they'll worship freedom, they'll worship control and power. There are things that they will fill their hearts with, but ultimately these idols will disappoint them. The prodigal son ultimately found out his plan wasn't working. When you talk to people whose plans fail them, they'll listen. Write this down. You were made to worship Christ. Why? Well, because without Christ, life is empty. Without Christ, life is empty. That's true of everyone who doesn't have faith in Christ. Their life is empty. They might not know it yet, but they will soon. When I think of the word empty, uh, I think of like our, our van. It, it needs to have some gas in it to go anywhere. If it's empty, I can't get anywhere. And if your life is empty of Christ, you can't get where God is taking you. You won't get anywhere close to where God is taking you if your life is empty of Christ. Uh, my wife and I recently, for my dad's birthday, because my dad, even though he's, you know, a grandpa, uh, loves to have fun. So he wanted to go to this wild west town up north of Elgin for his birthday. So we all got dressed up like cowboys and cowgirls. We got in the van. We started driving. The kids were so excited. And then it said low fuel. Low fuel. So we pulled over on the Hinsdale Oasis and pull up to the gas pump. And I put the pump in. And I start it. And uh, I hear gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. And then the gas shoots back out of the van at me. And I jump out of the way. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the van's trying to kill me. So I shut off the pump. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I tried it again. I turned it on, gurgle, 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 and it shoots out again. It's like, Lord, I think the van wants to kill me. I don't know what's going on, but it won't take gas. We can't get to where we're going because it's already low and it won't take gas. It's empty, and I guess it wants to be empty. 
So we drove around for a little bit, called some people, and they said, well, just try it again. We tried it again, and thankfully, it worked. So we got to Wild West Town. (laughs) But um, people who refuse to worship Christ are like my van. God's trying to pour meaning into their life, and they're just like, shoot it back out. And they're empty. And because they're empty, they can't get to where God wants to take them. Without Christ, life is empty. Only Jesus can fill your heart with wonder, with joy, and with purpose that transcends this world. Uh, Without Christ, people are chasing mirage after mirage through a lifeless desert. They will never get where they want to go. The Bible warns us, the Bible warns us not to live for things that are only in this world. Check out this passage from Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So you have the man who wants to be known for his intelligence, his expertise. That's what he lives for. It's what he defines himself by. You have the man who wants to be known for his strength, maybe his athleticism, how he he is out on the field, how he is at the gym. He wants to be physically strong and impressive. You have the man who wants to be rich. He wants the newest, the best, the biggest. Uh, Whatever this world offers, he wants to impress people with his wealth. And God says you should have none of it. That's not what you should boast in. That's not what you should be defined by. That's not what your life should be filled with. He goes on to say this, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Boast that you know my love. Boast that you know my justice. Boast that you know my righteousness. I love, I will judge sin, and I will do good in all the earth. Boast in that. God wants us to fill our lives with knowledge of Him. But sadly, we chase after lesser things. We make lesser things greater than God. Uh, This is a picture of Somebody who's really smart, wants to be known for his smarts. In fact, won over a million dollars on Jeopardy. If I went on Jeopardy, I wouldn't win a penny. And there he is, multiple weeks, multiple opponents. And, you know, is it bad to be smart? No, but if that is your identity, if that's your God, if that's what you want to be defined and remembered by, and that's what you live for, then it's unfortunate. Uh, What about somebody who wants to be athletic or strong? Here's somebody who's famously strong. Because of his muscles, people respect him. And a lot of people aspire to being athletic or physically strong or impressive, and that's what their life is all about. Um, Some people want to live to be rich. They think to themselves, if only I could make it and live in a house like this, then my heart would be full. But that's not true. Only God can fill your heart with joy. Blaise Pascal uh, reflecting on how we go wrong in this life, said there are really two major maladies that tear us apart, that get us on the wrong path. And what he said was this. He said, pride, pride breaks you away from heaven and pleasure binds you to the earth. Pride, self-glory, breaks you away from heaven. Pleasure, self-indulgence, binds you to the earth. That's really Satan's two-step plan for taking you off of God's meaningful plan for your life. Live for your glory, live for your pleasure, and in the end, you'll be empty of everything of heaven. People are worshiping false gods. Their lives are being driven by idols. 
And these idols are sinking sand. They'll disappoint them. But they will listen to you. When they realize that their life is empty, they'll listen to you. And there are really two times when they'll listen to you. The first is when their dreams die. They thought their marriage would be this. They thought their kids would be this. They thought their career would be this. And when it dies a horrible death and their dreams don't come true, they'll listen. But the other time they'll listen is when their dreams come true and they get the marriage they want and they get the kids they want and they get the career they want and they have everything and they're still not happy and they don't know why. These are the athletes who win the Super Bowl and then they're like, it's okay, I just feel so empty. I don't, didn't really do what I thought it would do. These are the athletes who have everything and who are popping the pills and using the drugs. These are the musicians who have more money than you can fathom, but it's not enough. They have to dull themselves into this state of delusion because they can't live with who they are. When their dreams come true and they're still restless or fearful or bored or insecure, they'll listen to you. And they might listen more than if they were in pain. Their gods will disappoint them. You were made to worship Christ. Without Christ, life is empty. You can say these things to people at moments when they're ready to hear. Well, what's the second point? In Mark 12, 30 to 31, it says this. Why are we here? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second commandment is this. Greatest commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Jesus was asked, well, what's the greatest thing? What should we live for? Loving God and loving others. So jot this down. Second, you were made to walk with Christ. You were made to worship Christ. You were made to walk with Christ. Meaning God intended for you to have a personal loving relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to know him, but you can't know him without Jesus. Uh, all of God's affections for you are bound up in his son, which is why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you want to know God's love, you have to know God's Son. If you don't have God's Son, you don't have God's love. But His will, His plan, is that you would know what it means to walk with Him through this life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That results in you loving others. Knowing God really is the supreme purpose of life. And loving God is the supreme pleasure of life. Knowing Him and loving Him is really what it's all about. But there are people who don't know this love from God. If you do know the love from God, you'll share it with other people. You'll like to be around the family of the faith. And then the more you walk with Christ, the more you'll resemble Him. Then you'll be an effective witness. I like what Paul Tripp says. Paul Tripp says this, God wants the things that ruled Christ's heart to rule our hearts. Because of your walk with Christ, you should resemble him more and more. And then others should see that you're different. And they should see, wow, you, you're different. And you have something I don't. And it's really important to know who you're talking to when you have spiritual conversations. When the meaning of life comes up, you'll be talking to basically like three types of people. The first is people who would say, there's no meaning to this life, so stop talking to me about it. These would be the atheists, these would be the agnostics, these would be the naturalists. They would just say, they would just say flat out, there is no purpose. But then there are people who would say, you know what? This life is whatever you make it to be. So you've got your thing, I've got mine. It's meaningful, but who knows whose is right. But then there's a third group of people 
who would say, yeah, yeah, God gives meaning to this life, and they would think they're on God's plan, but they're not. That can be one of the harder conversations you have because there's really no evidence to you that they're walking with Christ, but they think God is okay with what they're doing, and they think they're on God's plan, but they're not. How do you talk to those people? Well, first you have to acknowledge what the Bible says is true. In Ephesians 2, 11 to 12, it says this of the person before they have a personal relationship with Christ. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Do you hear that description? Imagine going to your family member who doesn't know Christ and saying, hey, just wanted to let you know that the Bible says you're alienated, a stranger to God, you have no hope, and you're without God in this life. How would they respond? (laughs) Who do you think you are, right? But that's the truth. The truth is, without Christ, they are far, far, far away from God, which is why it says here, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What's sad is there are people who think that they're close to God. They'll say, God's always been there for me. They'll talk about praying as if God's right there, but he's not. Standing between them and God is like this vast ocean. And then on the other side of the ocean is like a canyon. And then on the other side of the canyon is like a dense forest. And then the other side of the forest is like a huge wall. They are far from God. But they don't know it. And in talking to people, you have to have the courage to say to them, hey, if you're not walking with Christ, you don't know God. Of course that will offend them but it could be one of the most powerful moments of their lives. If they don't know Christ, the problem is they don't know God's love. So jot this down. You were made to walk with Christ because without Christ, life is cold. Without Christ, life is cold. You don't know God's love and you don't even have an example of what love is supposed to be like. If I had to pick a person in the Bible who didn't know God's love and then came to know it in a in a miraculous way, I would think of the woman at the well. Do you remember her story? She's sitting out, in the heat of day, she goes out to this well, and Jesus is sitting there. Here's a picture of a well, just the the landscape is supposed to give us a picture of this woman's soul. Here she goes out to this well all alone. And and back in this time, women didn't do much alone. They always went together. Um, This probably means she didn't have family, she didn't have friends who wanted to be around her. To go in the heat of day to a well to get water all by yourself, she was alone. She was an unloved woman. And this loneliness is portrayed in her uh, sitting out, you know, being out at this well. And there Jesus is, and he says, hey, give me, a, give me a drink. I'm tired from the journey. And she says, oh, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We shouldn't even talk to each other. And, but then Jesus said something to her. He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And she was curious about this. And they had a conversation about something Jesus claimed to have that he could pour into her heart. In uh, John 4.14, Jesus says, But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Jesus was offering to pour the love of God into her heart. 
Jesus was offering to pour life into her soul. Only Jesus can do that. And when he asked her, go call your husband and come back, it was so sad. She said, I have no husband. And he said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not now your husband. How hard was this woman's life? Man after man after man after man either abused her and rejected her, or she was so hard to get along with that they couldn't stand it anymore. We don't know. But five husbands down, and the one who she's with now is thinking it over. How lonely must that feel? How rejected must she have felt? And here Jesus is the man who comes along and says, I can fill your heart with what nobody else can. This is really a portrait of what life is like for those people who don't have Christ. Those around you maybe have been around so many people, but they feel alone. They're sinking into loneliness. They're lacking community. They don't feel loved by God or by people because people don't know how to love them and they don't know how to love other people because they don't have an example. These people have been used and discarded. They've been betrayed and disappointed. They've been rejected. And there you are. You have God's love in you and you need to bring it to them. You're full of this living water that Jesus gave you and they're dry. And how selfish it would be for us to not tell people about the love of God. God has loved us so that we can go and bring his love to people who don't know this love and can't find it anywhere in this world. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, God is the fountain of love as the sun is the fountain of light. The glorious presence of God fills heaven with love, an infinite fountain of love. And you walk past people every day whose souls are dry and you have this infinite fountain of love inside of you. You have to tell other people, hey, listen, you were made to walk with Christ. You were made to know God personally. You were made for his love to be with. And when they say to you, oh, well, I've always been with God, you need to have the courage to say, no, you haven't known this love. So we have to tell people first, you were made to worship Christ. And they'll find out that without Christ, life is empty. We also have to tell them you were made to walk with Christ, and they'll find out that without Christ, this life is cold. The third point is this. You were made to work for Christ. You can jot that down. You were made to serve Christ. And putting Him first gives your life significance that rises above whatever else you do. Um, Matthew 6, 32 to 33, Jesus commented on how people are chasing after clothes and food and you know, just getting through the day. And here's what Jesus says. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Really, God wants you to seek him first. And while you work, while you strive to provide for your family, while you strive to advance your career, you know, raise your children, yeah, yeah, all that's important, and God knows you need to do that. But first, you should seek his kingdom. Really, what stands in the way of people in eternal life usually are routine daily things that take God's place. And um, it can sadly happen to anybody. But if I, if I think of somebody in the Bible who put routine work, busyness, and duty of life in front of God himself, literally, I would think of Martha. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? What would it be like if Jesus came to your house? 
Did you double check how well you dusted that morning? And, and, and he says the whole town's coming over for dinner tonight. Like when I was growing up, we had to clean, but when grandma was coming over, we had to grandma clean. <laughs> you know what I mean by grandma clean? Grandma clean means you are cleaning everything. And uh, I guess there should be such a thing as Jesus clean, because Jesus came over to Mary and Martha's house. So Martha's like, ah, she's in the kitchen rattling around trying to get everything ready. And, and Jesus decided to start teaching. So Mary sat down at Jesus' feet, because if Jesus says it's teaching time, it's teaching time. They're about to get in the Bible. And Mary's listening, and Martha is not. She's so busy dusting, cleaning, vacuuming, getting the food ready that she's not even listening to God talk. She's not listening to God talk. And shame on us when the busyness of life, we give excuses. Well, I've got too much work to do. I can't listen to God talk. We're just as guilty as her. There she is. Then she goes and interrupts the sermon. Hey! Tell my sister to help me. The nerve. She's getting bossy with Christ. She was working, but her work and her busyness was drowning out Christ's voice. That's a warning to us. Jesus gently rebuked her. Okay? Gently. You know, there are certain people in the Bible who God took their voice away for like nine months and Jesus could have done that. No talking for you for nine months. But instead, he graciously rebuked Martha. You were made to work for Christ and when we let the busyness and the daily routine take first place and we don't seek God's kingdom, we miss out on everything. The Bible says take hold of the life that is truly life. That means you can be living without life right now. You could be like the walking dead. You're moving, but you're not living. You're not spiritually alive to God. And therefore, everything that you're doing in this world will ultimately mean nothing. That's a sad thought. Jot this down. You were made to work for Christ because without Christ, life is pointless. It amounts to nothing. Solomon knew this. Solomon had everything that anybody could ever want. He was willing to walk away from God to get it. He chased pleasure. He chased power. He built buildings and gardens. He wrote books. And what was his reflection? This is a man who had wives and concubines. He could sleep with a different woman every night from multiple nations. This is a man people traveled from afar to listen to him teach. He had popularity. He had fame, fortune, and glory. And what was his reflection after he had all this and he didn't have a right relationship with God? Ecclesiastes 2.18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. He had accumulated so much, and yet he went like this, and he said, this is what I get to bring with me into the next life. This is it. And he said, I have no idea who's going to be in charge of all my stuff. That's a humbling thought. Whatever you have in your purse, your pocket, your home right now will one day belong to someone else. I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul trailer attached to it because you can't bring anything with you into the next life. And if you don't have Christ and you're not going to heaven, then everything in this world is pointless. Hey, 
would you go to work tomorrow if you showed up and your boss said, hey, listen, you know, we had a little setback of the company and it turns out that you're not going to get paid ever again. So we'd love for you to stay, but every paycheck from now on is going to have a zero on it. How long would you work at that company? Students, if you went to school, college maybe tomorrow, and the teacher got up in front of the class and said, hey, you know, they really just gave us a lot of freedom as teachers, and I don't feel like grading. So from now on, everyone's just going to get a zero in the class. Nothing you do will be graded. In the end, you'll get a zero on your report card. How hard would you work in that class? How long would you stay in that teacher's class? And yet, without Christ, people are getting up every morning, working their tails off, raising their kids, saving their money, making it through retirement, so that in the end, there can be nothing waiting for them. A blank check, a zero in the grade book, all of my life amounts to nothing in the end? How do you live like that? And Christian, how can you stand the sight of someone who is heading to that destination? How can you not reach out to them and try and help? Some people face this truth that if they don't have a God and they don't have a Savior, that there's really no reason to live. Bertrand Russell is an atheist who preaches to people that you should just give up and there's really no point. He says this, all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Nothing you do matters. It's all going to amount to nothing in the end. That's what he's preaching. How do you live like that? How do you live like that? And how do you not reach out to someone and say there's a better plan? You were made to work for Christ so that everything you do in this world, every moment matters. It's being recorded right now and there's a judgment in the end. And he will reward obedience and he will punish disobedience. How do you live without hope that it all matters? When you get a chance to talk to people about meaning, you should say, hey, you were made to worship Christ because without Christ, life is empty. You should say to them, you were made to walk with Christ because without Christ, life is cold should tell them you were made to work for Christ because without Christ, life is pointless. And then there will be people who God is working on. And you know what they'll do? They'll say, you're right. You're right. My life does feel pointless. My life does feel cold. God does feel far away and I feel empty. You can't force them to see that, but God can. And I believe that there are people in this room right now and God is telling you, you were made to live for more. I believe there are people in this room right now and God has been working on you for months or years and he's been telling you, your plan is not working. He's been showing you that you're far from him. He's been trying to reveal to you through the suffering that you don't have his love yet and that's why your life feels cold. He's been trying to show you that because you worship all of these other things and because you glorify all of these other people, you are empty. He's trying to show you That though you work so hard, though you try so hard, in the end, there will be nothing to show for your work. It's futile. And I wonder if you're honest enough to say that God has been trying to show this to you for quite some time. I wonder if you're willing to say that God has been trying to say to you, I made you for more. I believe there are people in this room right now and God's trying to get your attention. 
I want you to know that everyone in this room who's a follower of Christ knows what it's like to be you. Uh, Every Christian is basically a do-over. We were trying our way, and it failed, and then God had to say, hey, you were made for something more. It doesn't matter if you're a six-year-old when you got saved or a 68-year-old. Basically what happened is I was trying my way and it failed. God got my attention and showed me what he really made me for. So I don't want you to feel like you're around people who've had it all together for their whole life. No, we're all do-overs. We had empty lives. We were cold and separated from God. We were doing pointless things for no reason. But listen, if you feel like God is trying to say to you, it's time now to find life. Do you feel like that woman at the well and Christ is saying to you, I can pour life and love into your heart? The Bible says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The Bible says today if he's prompting you to respond to the gospel, if he's trying to get you to open up to what he has for you, you must respond. And to delay is to make a choice. And that's a fatal choice. But I want you to know, listen, there are people in this room who have recently responded to what God is doing. They have recently felt God's activity in their heart saying, hey, today is the day that you follow me. And I don't want you to feel alone. I want you to know that there are people who in this room recently came to know Christ. Um, I wonder how many of you in this room would say 2015 is the year God got you. 2015 is the year that you finally turned to Christ. Maybe, Maybe it was 2015 that you got baptized in this church or somewhere else, but, but maybe you would say 2015 is the year, this is when God got me. If, if that's you, I want you to testify, I want you to just stand up right now, if 2015 is the year, you would say this is the year God got me. I want you to stand up right now. You were saved, you were baptized, you came to Christ in 2015, I want you to stand up. Got a few over there. Stay standing because you're brave. You were the first. But who else? 2015, you would say at some point in this year, this is the year that God got me. This is the year that he turned me around. Stand up if that's you in 2015. All right. All right. Now, I want you guys to stay standing because what you're doing now is you're showing people who don't know Christ yet that God is still at work. That in this room, there are people who recently heard the truth of Christ and responded. We're talking, we're talking in the last 11 months. And so when you now hear the voice of the Lord saying, today is your day, this is your year, I want you to respond to what you heard. I just want you to see you're not alone. I just want you to see the way this works. And what we're going to do right now is I'm going to give you a chance to pray and ask Christ to be your Savior, to fill your life with meaning. But these people here, they're going to stay standing, so you're not alone. And I'm going to give you a chance to stand up in just a moment to respond to what you've heard today. But you're not alone. There are already people like you who've responded to what they've heard. So you guys stay standing. Let's all bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Everyone bow your heads. And listen, to those of you who feel like God is just shouting to you, you feel like he is just right now saying, today is the day. I want you to have the courage to stand up to pray with me right now. Just right where you are. I just want you to have the courage to stand up 
right where you are right now to pray with me. No one's looking. You know he's been driving you to this point for too long. This is the time for you to respond. Right now, you know that God is prompting you to stand up, to give your life to Christ, and to invite Him to be your Savior. And I want you to do it. We already have a few who've stood up. We had several in the first service who stood up. You're not alone. I want you to stand up right now and be brave. Got several people who've already stood. You haven't missed it yet. This is God. This is you and God. He's moving you to take a stand right now. I just want you to stand up and we'll pray in a second. This is your chance. Don't miss it. Remain standing so I can pray with you. Father, thank you for those who right now have responded to the truth of Christ. Thank you for those who right now are saying, I want life. I want love. I want purpose. I don't want to feel alone. I don't want to feel empty. Father, those who are standing right now, may they just pray with me in their heart. May they say this, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me for living for me. Forgive me for living for others. Forgive me for not loving you. Forgive me for sinning with the world. Jesus, save me. Jesus, fill me with eternal life and walk with me until the day I go to heaven. And Lord, those who are praying right now, I pray ask that you would fill them with your presence, fill them with your approval, fill them with your strength. Let them know that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them. Help them to know that they can serve your eternal purposes because in Jesus Christ, eternal life is revealed. Let's all stand up right now as we say amen and sing.